Welcome to the Bowen Christian Family Centre podcast channel. You're about to hear a message recorded at one of our Sunday gatherings. We pray you are blessed and enjoy this inspiring message. Jairus is saying, hey, hey Lord, my little girl's about to die. He has the intonation of a 911 caller. He's saying, hey, if you don't help, it's the end of the story. The game is over. So Jesus went with him. So Jesus is like, cool, let's go to your house and lay hands. Jairus is clearly Pentecostal. Come to my house, lay hands on her. And, but there's a multitude of people thronging around him. Let's keep reading. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. Someone say 12. 12. Someone say 12. 12. Someone say 12. 12. Let's go to the next, uh, the next passage or the next bit. And suffering and had suffered many things from many physicians. So this woman had a flow of blood and she'd suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, don't you love that? That people that might not know him, people that are far away, when they hear the story, the rumor, the scandal of Jesus Christ, they're like, hey, that's their supernatural solution in that person. I'm going to go find him. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. My goodness, I feel the anointing of heaven. Oh my goodness, if we could, church, if we could only touch the hem of his garment, let alone be walked in the room, but if we could just get in, the, in a space with Jesus, if we would let him into our busy lives, if we would let him into our marriages, our finances, our, the way we parent, oh man, something could happen. Something could happen. Immediately, the fountain of her blood. Someone say immediately. 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 I love that. I love that. It doesn't say she touched Jesus and then through a 25-step process and reading three self-help books, it started to get better. Not immediately. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes there's a process, but often when you come into the presence of Jesus, things break, things shift. Malachi says the God that you've sought will come suddenly. Things begin to shift. Things begin to move. Healed of her affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power, someone say power, power. had gone out of him, turned around to the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging around you and you say, who touched me? Once again, just a bit of context. That's like being at youth. And you're throwing around. Everyone's jumping. You know, they're singing, I don't know, some song. And they're jumping around. And then, like, one person's like, who touched me? It's like, bruh, 30 people just touched you. You're in a mosh pit. But who knows? There's a difference between accidentally brushing up against something and intentionally reaching out for something. Oh, come on. I'm, I'm going to get you this morning. I'm, I'm gonna get, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. And he looked around to see who had done this thing. Next slide. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. <laughs> she told him the whole truth. She told him the whole truth. <laughs> cool. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house. Keep in mind, while this is going on, Pastor Jairus is like, this is great. It's great that she's getting healed. My daughter is dying. Jairus isn't a bad guy. His little girl is dying. My goodness. As this is going on, someone comes from Jairus' house and says, hey, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can I, I feel the anointing of God in here. Can I tell you, Life will try and tell you when the game's over. Your friends will try and tell you when it's time to give up. 
and they will say, hey, don't bother anymore. Don't bother with church anymore. Don't bother with praying to that anymore. Can I speak prophetically into this atmosphere and say it's not over? Can I encourage you this morning that actually the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is in your corner. He is on your side. He is behind you. He wants you healed more than you want to be healed. He wants your marriage flourishing more than you want it. He wants your kids doing well more than you do. And Jesus says some of the most powerful phrases in the entire New Testament. Jesus heard what was spoken. He said to Jairus, do not be afraid only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. I know there's been moments in my life, and I'm only 27, and and, and I'm sure there's people in this place who've been through much more hurt and pain and suffering than I have, but uh, who knows those moments where you are at the foot of your bed, or you're out, and you're just like, Jesus, I'm so terrified right now. Why isn't it working? The promise isn't coming to pass. This is going on in my family. What's going on with my job? I might be about to get laid off. You know the feeling. Jesus is so annoying. Because he doesn't actually come and camp with us in the valley of self-pity. He actually looks at us and says, hey, I empathize with you, my child, but do not be afraid, only believe. And then he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, Jairus' house. What does that tell us? It tells us, choose your friends wisely. Because some friends will help your faith and some friends will hinder it. And even the Son of God when he knew he was going to try and perform a resurrection, he went, I just want you, you, and you. Some of you in this place, you need to start looking at your friends and go, I'm going to just take you, you, and you, because I actually want to create an atmosphere of faith. Let's go to the next part of the text. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a turmoil, and for those who wept and wailed loudly. Makes sense, a child's just died. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Jesus had a tactic, didn't he? Whenever someone was dead, he just told people they were sleeping. Lazarus is not dead, he's sleeping. Really, Jesus? He's been sleeping for three days and he smells real bad. (laughs) Why? Because Jesus had the spirit of prophecy on him. And what's prophecy? Prophecy is declaring those things as though they were not, as though they were. And so he prophesies. And so for me, I know I'm convicted in my life that when something's one way, I don't just agree with it. I actually start to prophesy that it's not. And you look crazy sometimes. Walking around your house being like, my marriage is amazing. It's going really well. And everyone's like, no, it's not. You're like, I know, but I'm prophesying. <laughs> my son, he's going to serve God. He's going to follow in the ways of the Lord. And your friend's like, he's currently on drugs. He is regularly smoking the devil's lettuce. And you're like, I know, but I'm actually going to believe that there's a call on his life. And I'm going to prophesy the things that were not as though they were. That's what we're called to do. And so Jesus says that. And okay, this is where the text gets crazy. We're about to have some fun in the Sunday morning service, I'm telling you. Then they ridiculed him. This isn't a good idea. But when he had put them outside. Okay, we're going to go through this again. Jesus walks in, speaks out in faith. They start ridiculing him. Another text says, and they mocked him loudly. Oh dear. And when he had put them all outside. I studied this passage. There is a strong inference when you read Josephus' breakdown of this text that Jesus physically put them outside. You know, we sing like, you know, he's a good, good father. But in the words of Robert Badu, sometimes he is so, so gangster. Like, you don't want to, you don't want to play with Jesus. Like, why? Because he knew that a miracle needed to happen. And he knew that faith and the atmosphere and the environment was important. And so he was like, hey, actually, I don't actually care about your ridicule and mocking, but I need an atmosphere of faith. Get out. 
Who can see in this? I love this. This is the son of God. This is the power, the dunamis, kratos, megathos power of God with skin on. And even Jesus creates environments. Even Jesus makes good decisions to get some friends to leave. So he's in there. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand. Feel the presence of God as I read this. And he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kamaya, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately. We've had two immediately's in one text. Immediately, the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. See, when I first studied this, my ear pricked up because a little bit before, we'd heard the number 12 again. We've got a woman who's had an issue of blood for 12 years. And we have a little girl who's passed away who is 12 years old. We'll come back to that. And they were overcome with great amazement. I always loved that bit in the Bible. It's like, and then he walked on the water. And they were overcome with great amazement. It's like, yeah, yeah. I get overcome with great amazement when God heals a headache. (laughs) But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. And she said, and said that something should be given to her to eat. Amen. I love that part of scripture. I made a joke with my wife the other day. It didn't go down well. I said, babe, whenever you're upset... I feel like we need to reference Mark 5. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, when you're upset, sometimes you just need to go and have something to eat. She's like, no, no, keep going. I was like, do you want something to eat? She's like, yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is a powerful text. And Jesus shows us that he is very, very direct. And he's serious about healing. And he's serious about breakthrough. So serious that he will offend, so serious that he will break through things to see a resurrection. I want to tell you a story about me and my wife, because it links into this text. So I met my wife at a party. Not like a party party, like a Christian party. They're very different. Do you know what I mean? Party parties, it's like drinking and stuff. Christian parties, it's like, let's play Monopoly, you know? And so um, we were at at someone's... uh, I love Monopoly. It takes ages, but I love it. Um, we were at this party, and, and it was someone else's 21st, and I was still in school. And she was a, um, she was like co, a co-youth pastor at the time. I'm, uh, I'm 26. My wife is turning 31. Hey. And uh, so, so we're at this party, and I'm in year 11, and I go dressed as Captain Jack Sparrow. And, and I can't remember what she was dressed as, but I rock up, and I'm very loud and out there, if you hadn't picked that up. And uh, so I'm walking around, like, pretending, 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 pretending to be drunk. I'm walking around. I'm like, why is the rum always gone? You know, I'm just still my thing. And I see this girl, and I'm like, I immediately stop being Captain Jack Sparrow. I'm like, is it? And I'm like, I'm going to go talk to her. And so I walk up, and you know, in my head, I walk up like this in my head. I'm like, <laughs> what, I, what I really did was I was like, you know, so I go up there and I get up to her and I had all these things I wanted to say, like, hey, like, are you part of like COC, Bridgman Downs? I just, started, I just joined that church. Yeah, I'm really on a journey with the Lord. This is what I said. I woke up. I'd never dated anyone. My wife's the first woman I dated, first woman I kissed, hashtag sexual purity. And I rocked up and I went, I think I know you. And she's like, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Like, where, where from? I'm like, I don't know. You know, I've got like makeup and like, you know, I'm just like a mess. And uh, she walks off and I'm, I'm there by myself and I'm like, you know what? I have like a problem with amazing self-confidence. I'm like, you know what? That went well. I, I sowed a seed. 
a seed of love. And so, anyway, so I just started coming back to church at the time, and, uh, you know, in churches, uh, it was quite a large church, about 700 people, and uh, there's like a young adults party or gathering or 21st or engagement every other week. So three weeks later, there was another party, and I was still working out, you know, coming back to the Lord. Grew up in a Christian home, but I was working out coming back to the Lord, and my friend Jeremy invited me to this party, and he's like, it's a dress-up party. It's like a fantasy dress-up. You know, um, Christians, we're so lame. Um, but, uh, but I love us. We're awesome as well. And we're going to heaven, so it's fun. Um, but I was like, what could I go as? And I was in this season where I was obsessed with Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings. Like, does anyone else love Lord of the Rings? Is that, yeah? Two people here. Cool, cool, cool. So what we need to do, Pastor, is we need to have a Lord of the Rings viewing night. It's going to be great. Um, but anyway, um, I actually love the typologies of Jesus in Lord of the Rings because C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were actually friends. It's really cool. But anyway, um, so I was in this Lord of the Rings moment, and I don't know, this might not work now. That I feel like none of you have seen it. But there's this character in Lord of the Rings called Gollum, and he's, like, really creepy, and he, like, wears a loincloth, and he kind of scuttles around. And, and at the time, I was playing a lot of sport, so I was kind of, like, I was kind of, I was kind of doing my thing. Like, I had abs. I was, I was looking pretty good. Not as good as Trev, but I looked good. And, and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to this party in a loincloth, you know? And so, I know, it's terrible. I was like a teenager, stop judging me with your eyes. And so, <laughs> I, I went to this party, and I'm walking around, and I'm, I'm doing the full thing, man. Like, I'm, it's Sunday morning, I don't even know, I, like, I'm doing the thing. That's all I'm going to say. I'm like scurrying around, and I'm like, you know, people that don't know me are like, how are you going? And you're like, hello, precious. You know, I'm doing the whole thing. And then I see this girl again. And I'm like, oh, I've got to go talk to her. I forget that I'm just wearing a loincloth. So I walk up to her and I say the same thing again. I walk up and I go, I think I know you. And she's like, cool, cool. So good. Like, that's great, man. Like, yeah, I've seen you around at church. And uh, anyway, but I'll be honest, I, I hadn't met her. But every time I saw her from the first moment I met her, I felt like I knew her. I'm not just saying that to try and make the story work. I genuinely did. I went about it the worst, most creepy way. If you feel like you know a girl and you don't know her, don't walk up to her in a loincloth and say, I think I know you. You know, it's got serious serial killer vibes, okay? So, but anyway, so I'm at the church and I'm doing all the stuff. Like, I'm persistent and I never dated anyone, so I didn't realize that when you're trying to date someone, when they're, like, not keen, you just, you move on, you know? And so, but I was, I'd be in church and I'd be, like, worshiping and this is, like, 2010, so it's, I don't know, maybe a bit later. And so, you know, it's like, what was the song back then? You know, God's Great Dance Floor. I come alive on God's great dance floor. I don't really like that song. But, um, so Anna would be dancing and I'd be, like, worshiping, but, like, also, like, looking at her and, like, trying to be like, hey, how you going? And she's like, she's like, you know, like. And, uh, but anyway, long story short, as the years went on, we became friends. And, and, um, and years later, I, I plucked up the courage and I was, like, I was a bit older. You know, I was, I was, I was a man. And, uh, and uh, I was also of legal age, which is important. And uh, I said to her, hey, I said, hey, can we grab a coffee? And we went out for coffee. And I said, hey, I, I really like you. I've really liked you for five years. Um, I had. And, uh, and she's like, yeah, no, I, I like you too. And then, and then I didn't know what to do because I was expecting like, oh, cool, man. She's like, I like you too. I was like... <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, we started dating, and three and a half years later, I asked her to be my wife, and we got married, and she's my wife now. And uh, everyone went crazy and applauded and got pumped about that. Yeah, Pastor Jason's happy for me. And uh, it was awesome. What's the point of that weird, creepy, slightly stalkerish story? Um, nothing. No, no. The point is that, that when I met her, and we talk about this often now, at that party at my friend's 21st when I was in school still, and she was a youth pastor, 
She says the same thing. She genuinely was like, there was a familiarity. There was a link. Like, it was like, where do we know each other from? And like, little did we know, um, you know, little did we know it was destiny. No, no. Um, no, but little did we know, obviously, who knows, that, that, that in the spirit, God has a plan and a purpose for us. And, and so I think what was happening outside of physical attraction, outside of laughing together and all that great stuff, I believe we, we, we had sort of tapped into um, that, that prophetic thing. Now, real quick, youth, never go up to a girl and say, God told me I have a prophetic leading Pastor Dylan will punch you. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying was, in hindsight, after we'd done it like normal people, we, we realized that, that God was on it. And, and, and there's something in this text. Who would have thought that when a year 11 went to a 21st party dressed as Captain Jack Sparrow, and there was a co-youth pastor there of a church that he'd just recommitted his life to, that they would then get married in six years. There was a link. There was a, there was a link in. And in this text, we see a, an amazing link in. We see a woman with an issue of blood, and we see pastor, Pastor Jairus. And what occurs is awesome. My laptop is committing suicide as we speak. It's very upsetting. In the name of Jesus, work. But if we could put the text up really quickly, the difference between Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. Because who knows in this day and age that there was, it was a pretty... Uh, man-orientated culture, which we don't agree with at all, but in this day and age, it was. So we see Jairus, and he comes up to Jesus, and he is a pastor, he's respected, he's like, hey, we need, we need a miracle. Please, would you come? We need a miracle. Then you've got the woman with the issue of blood who interrupts Jairus' miracle. Can you imagine, you're here on a Sunday morning, and you ask, Pastor to pray for you, and she's coming to lay hands on you, and you can just feel she's carrying the anointing of God. And Trev just jumps in the way. And you're like, What? And you don't say anything because he's quite big. But inside, you're thinking, I I was here first. I'd asked for prayer. I don't know about you, I'd be offended. Like, Trev, stop it. It's rude. But there is something about desperation. So we look here, we see that Jairus is a man. Already in this day and age, he's got a a leg up. The woman with the issue of blood is a female. Actually, the first thing we can already see is there's even a bit of misogyny in the text because we know Jairus' name. We don't know this woman's name. Jairus is rich. People get annoyed sometimes when I do this comparison. How do you know he was rich? His servant came to tell him news. He was definitely rich. This woman is poor. She spent all of her money on, in that day and age, horrific medical procedures to try and be made well. And nothing's happening. Jairus is respected. He's a pastor. This woman has been rejected by her friends and family. And in that day and age, she was considered unclean under Mosaic law. So that meant, that meant people wouldn't even want to socialize with her. This is a real thing. Jairus has a family. From one time, I was somewhere, and there was a lady who didn't like me much, which I understand. But... She came up to me afterwards and she was like, excuse me, pastor. I was like, oh, no. She's like, how do you know Jairus had a family? I'm like, his daughter had died? She was like, mm. (laughs) (laughs) But we have two very different women, people, Jairus and the woman. They're coming at different places. They're coming from different places. 
But you know what I love about Jesus? Is desperation levels the playing field. You see, you could be a lawyer on 300000 a year, or you could be someone struggling with an ice addiction. But when you're in dire need, both come to the feet of Jesus. You see, that's why church has to be for everyone. That's why people shouldn't feel odd about what they're wearing or what they smell like or what they've done the night before to come into the house of God and get a touch of heaven. Because desperation is often the doorway that breakthrough walks through. I sometimes wonder, I don't know about you, I sometimes wonder if desperation has left the church. We are, we're a church, in a, we're growing quickly and all that fun stuff, but we're in a pretty poor area. And one time, this girl came in, and I want to be honest with you, I've never heard a story like this young girl's. She'd been abandoned by her family. She had been systematically sexually abused by, by the system and by some people in her life that she trusted. She had been turned into a drug mule. She had been taken advantage of, hurt. She was depressed. She was, uh, I'm telling you, this, this, this girl's story broke me in my wife's heart. And then one day we were in church and we were singing that song, You're a good, good father, who you are. Which isn't a praise song, just in case you didn't know. And we're singing this song and this girl on the side starts jumping up and down out of time. And I'm like, all right, that's cool, whatever. And then she starts going, Jesus, Jesus, which is awesome. But who knows that in the middle of like good, good father, there's like the love, the presence of God's resting on the house. And she is, and then she starts doing this. Jesus, Jesus, starts weeping. And I'm standing there and I'm going, oh, God's doing something. The worship leader's trying to focus, even though that's happening. And I hear some of our leaders behind me start talking. So I'm going, what's she doing? What's like, and they weren't trying to be, you know, they're a bit younger. They weren't, they weren't trying to be mean or anything, but they're, they're sort of going, what is, what is wrong with it? That's weird. This is a praise song. This is it's a good, good father. You stand there with your arms high to heaven. Maybe you kneel down, you know, like that's what you do in this song. And I got a bit grumpy. And so I, I grabbed them and I took them into the side room and they, they knew there was like four young guys. It was four bows. And I took them into the side room and I'm like, hey, real quick, what were you saying about that girl? You know, and she's still going. And look, it, it looked kind of weird, you know, and I'll be really honest with you. She, she wasn't wearing a heap of clothes and she's jumping around and, and all that. And, and I said, hey, can I, before you judge her, can I tell you about her story? Can I tell you that, that she has been so broken? And, and later she told us that in that song, as, she, as Good Good Father, she heard the audible voice of God say, my daughter, I love you. And the way I'm a father is different to the way your earthly father behaved. And she felt the freedom of God. She felt joy. And all she could do was begin to respond, begin to dance. Desperation will make you do things. Desperation will make you do things. I never want to be too cool to be desperate for God. I never want to be too churchified to be able to sing out his name in Coles. Or Woolworths, there's not a Coles here. Come on, desperation is often the doorway that breakthrough walks through. We need to be a people that are desperate. A people that are desperate. Someone once said to me, Fred, where's your favorite place to preach? I thought about that. Asia's pretty awesome. They're, they're all, they're, their worship passion is next level. They lean in. Dave Hall's church is pretty great. But I realized when they asked me that, actually the best place to preach is where people are hungry. 
Because who knows that you receiving something this morning is not predicated on me giving a good word or my ability to articulate. It's predicated on your hunger for him. I'm a conduit, but I'm actually not that important. It's actually about him. It's actually about the cross of Jesus. And so hungry places, I know all the worship leaders in the place who know a hungry congregation is the best thing to lead to. A hungry church is the best place to preach. Are we hungry? Are we hungry? Are we desperate for Jesus? Or are we ticking off our Sunday checklist? Because I don't want to be a checklist Christian. I want to be passionate. I want to be full of the Holy Ghost. I want to be filled and filled again and filled again. And when I'm upset, filled again. And when I'm tired, filled again. And when I've got a bad attitude, filled again. When me and the wife have fought on the way to church, filled again. When stuff's going bad, filled again. When money's not good, filled again. I want to be a Christian that in and out of season, I'm coming to the altar of Jesus on a Sunday. And I tell my church, I tell my church often, I reserve, I reserve the right to receive at this church. I've gone down to my old altar calls. Legitimately. Because it wasn't my word, it was his, hopefully. Are we open to receiving? Let's delve into the details of this story. And maybe a keyboardist could come and minister with me. That would be amazing. I don't know where Brother Keyboard is, but thank you, bro. Appreciate that. We're building somewhere this morning. Jairus is in a hurry. Makes sense. Have you ever said to Jesus, hurry up? I have. I'm super impatient, so I say it all the time. But have you ever been like, hey, Jesus, really, we really need this breakthrough, like, now, you know? And sometimes it's about important things, like jobs and health issues. Sometimes it's about, like, a car park. Probably not in Bowen. Probably just park anywhere, but, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's about small things, but sometimes it's about serious things. Hey, God, would you come through? Hey, God, our finances are going. Jairus, fairly enough, is like, Jesus, we got to hustle. We got to go. My little girl is dying. I don't even have a, a, a daughter yet. But I've got a hundred spiritual kids on a Friday night. And when stuff goes wrong with them and when stuff hurts them, it, it kills me. We had, a, we had a, you know, not to be heavy and, and not to be insensitive to the week that this community's had. But last year, um, I had a girl uh, on a Friday night and she ran up to me and she just grabbed me like, and was hugging me. I was like, I just knew something was really wrong. I was like, sweetie, what is it? She had just come from her house and she'd found her brother and he'd killed himself. And I legitimately asked her, I said, hey, her mum was outside. I went outside to the mum and I said, hey, can I come pray? I didn't, I didn't want to, but I was like, I want to go pray for that body and just believe for something, just something. And, and she wasn't for that and obviously we totally respected that. But you've got to understand, this is, the sort of, this is where Jairus' spirit's at. It's not just a story. It's not just a text. His daughter is about to die. And so he's in a hurry. I want to delve into the, the, the timelines. The Bible never wastes anything and it never tells us anything for no reason. It tells us that this woman has had an issue of bleeding for 12 years and that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. That means if, if, if this was a movie, it would cut and fade to black and then on the black screen, it would say 12 years earlier. And it would cut to the general hospital in Nazareth. And walking out of there would be a husband and wife holding a little bub, excited, the promise, excited at what God has given them. It says the children are a blessing from God. Excited at the possibility of her life. But at the same time, a woman is walking out of the clinic, thinking to herself, my life is over. 
my life as I know it is done. I'm not going to be able to get married. I'm not going to be able to have kids. I love the juxtaposition of the text. Who knows that in a church community, we've got people having wins and we've got people going through hell all at the same time. That's why it's important in the text it tells us, you know, celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who weep. So we go back 12 years and we have a mom and a dad pumped and we have a woman who feels like it's over. 12 is an important number in the Bible. There's certain numbers, 12, 7. There's certain numbers that in the Bible, you can tell they're kind of a big deal. 12 is one of those numbers. A couple of examples. The 12 sons of Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel. When the Old Testament high priest would meet God on behalf of the people, he would wear something super strange called an ephod. And the ephod would have how many stones? 12. When Jesus was teaching in the temple, he was 12. When Jesus decided, I need a crew, I need a connect group, I need some boys to roll with me as we do this ministry thing, he chose 12. I would have taken 11, but he was like, no, nah, I'm going to take Judas as well. Whoops. 12 is a significant number. The Pharisees on their robes would have hems on the edge, beautiful tassels that would represent authority, and they had 12. 12 is a significant number. 12 represents the authority of God. 12 represents his stature and his authority. This is an important piece to understand because Jesus is the ultimate authority. See, if you don't believe that Jesus is the ultimate authority, you'll doubt the validity of his word. See, whenever we have doubt, we're simply doubting his authority. When we're like, I don't know if I could get healed, we doubt his authority. When we're like, I don't know if church could grow and explode and go well, we're doubting his authority. You see, some of us don't have a faith problem. We have an authority problem. Because authority is the anchor to faith. If we're out in our little boat called faith, we don't just throw the anchor out. We actually tie it to the boat. And so it's, it's fine to know that God can heal. It's fine to know that God wants to move powerfully. It's fine to know that he wants the best for you. But understanding that he can and wants to do it for you is a different thing. Who knows, it's sometimes easier to have faith for other people than for yourself. God loves you. He's going to help you. What about you? Ah, oh, I don't know. We need an understanding of Jesus' authority. If we put up the things Jesus showed authority over on the screen, Jesus showed authority over storms, which is pretty epic. There was a storm going on, and he's like, peace be still. It's like, whoa, amazing. Jesus showed authority over food. Crazy. Fed 5,000 people with a lunchbox. Jesus showed authority over death. It's a big one. He showed authority over demons. Showed authority over sickness. He even showed authority over attitudes. That one's creepy. Do you remember that time he, he healed, was about to heal that guy and all the Pharisees were thinking thoughts? And Jesus is like, you say. That's so creepy. Imagine being married and thinking, oh, my wife's so silly. And she just looks at you and she's like, am I silly, am I? It's like, whoa. Jesus showed some authority. Band, you can come join me. We're going we're gonna to land this plane. Jesus shows authority. Three points as we finish working through this story. Point number one is an awareness of authority unlocks fast faith. 
An awareness of his authority unlocks fast faith. We've got some levels of faith and authority in this story. Jairus comes to him. Pastor Jairus rocks up and he's like, hey, Jesus, can you come and lay hands on my daughter? She's going to die. I need you to come to my house. I need you to come with me to perform the miracle. That's good. That's good faith. But there is a requirement where Jesus needs to come and meet me where I'm at for my breakthrough to happen. And then we see the woman with the issue of blood. And she's got an even higher level of faith and understanding of authority. She's like, if I could only touch him. I don't need him to come to me. I don't need him to lay hands on me. If I could just get in the same room as him. If I could just get into the presence of Jesus, something's going to shift. I don't need a word. I don't need a prophet. I don't need a prophetic word. I just need to be in the same room as him and something's going to happen. But there is a bigger level of faith and authority. It's found in the book of Matthew. A centurion, a Roman centurion comes to Jesus and says, you are a man under authority. And because you're under authority, you have authority. And you don't need to come to my house. You don't need to lay hands. Just one word from your mouth. Just one word from your authority. And my servant will be made well. I want to ask you this morning, where's your faith levels at? Are you Pastor Jairus, which is cool? Or you're like, I've got to get to the room. I need the person to come and pray for me. Or are you like, hey, even in his presence, I just need to be in his presence and something will shift. Or are you like the Roman centurion who's like, God, even now, even as I sit at the end of this church service in Bowen Christian Family Center and my son or my daughter is even interstate and away from you, I know that because I'm under authority, I have authority. And I speak life over my kids. I speak life over my marriage. I speak life. It's powerful when we understand the authority of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had to talk with your telephone provider. But it's horrible. I I have a love-hate relationship with Optus. And one time, they gave me a $780 phone bill, which wasn't correct. They'd made a mistake. So I called up, and I was talking to this customer service rep, and it just wasn't working. I was like, bro, like, I, I didn't download 600 movies. Like, I just used my phone. So there's a mistake. Nothing was happening. Nothing was shifting. So eventually, I, I, I called. I said, I need to speak to the manager. And within four minutes of talking to the manager, my account was reset, and it was all good. You see, the problem was I was talking to someone who didn't have authority. You see, the problem sometimes, church, is we're talking to people who don't have authority. You see, we're going to social media, we're going to Instagram, we're going to the water cooler at work, but we need to be going to the authority. I often have to tell a generation, stop venting your problems on social media. We, you're going to the customer service rep. Stop, even, even, even having a red wine with the girlfriends. Even like, like We actually need to start taking our problems, our issues, our, our disappointments, our hurt and our pain. We need to just take it to the manager. Because when we take it to the manager, he's got the ability to change things. He's got the ability to shift things. He's got the ability to break things. He's got the ability to heal things. We need to start taking our issue to the manager. The one that can actually fix things. I love stuff. I love things. I love Justin Bieber. I love listening to Justin Bieber. I'm going some of this. I love his music. It's fun. But can I tell you, when I have an issue, Justin Bieber isn't going to help me. When I have an issue, Netflix isn't going to help me. When I have an issue, journaling, blogging, getting mad about it isn't going to help me. I need to go to the one where my help comes from. I need to go to the manager. Something's going to shift. Come on, I need to keep moving. Stop making me, you're just too fun to preach to. Number two, two more points, then we're wrapping up. Two more points. Number two, an important interruption. An important interruption. Faith is not about your timeline. Jairus is like, Jesus, I need you now. I need you to move things. 
And then this woman is like, comes in, touches his garment, and Jesus is like, who touched me? If I was Jairus, I'd be like, Jesus, let's go. My daughter's dying. Who touched me? It's like, Jesus, my daughter's dying, and you're up in here playing 21 questions with a bunch of people. Let's go. And then Jesus talks to this woman, and it says she told him the whole truth. Ladies, I love you, but when you sometimes say the whole truth, it's not short. When I get home, I always ask my wife this one question. I say, babe, how was your day? We ask it to each other. When she asks me, my response is basically like, yeah, it was pretty good. Or, here's the other one. It's very varied. It was pretty bad. That's how I describe my day. When I ask my wife, you've got to brace yourself and you've got to grab a journal, man. Oh, it's good. Stuff that my wife works at a veterinary hospital. She's like, stuff happened. We brought a husky puppy in and we fixed his leg and we corrected it and it was awesome. But Romy was being a bit grumpy and there was a bit of gossip going on. So I shut that down and then I talked to Derek and then I had lunch. For lunch, I had Subway. It was great. I had a chicken and bacon ranch on wheat. I felt a bit funny in my tummy afterwards though. Then I went back to work. Derek was still mad, but I just told him he's awesome. I invited Romy to come to church on Sunday. I think she's going to come. I'm not sure if she's going to come. I think it's going to be good. I'm like, whoa! So Pastor Jairus is standing there, heartbroken, anxious, stressed, while she's telling him the whole story. I've found that often Jesus will encourage you in your miracle by giving someone else theirs. And we're laughing and it's funny until it's you. It's funny until you're trying to have kids and it's like the whole church has a fertility anointing. And you're trying year in, year out to have kids and you can't. It's hard when you're praying for breakthrough for your kids and it's like all the kids, it's like the prodigal son anointing is happening and you know that they're not even praying as hard as you. What's going on? It's like you're single and you're chilling. Like, Lord, I just give you my single season. Everyone else starts dating. Like, what 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 is going on? Lord, I've been praying for my husband. I've been prophesying. I've been journaling over him. What's going on? Jesus never does things to be antagonistic. And what he's done for one, he'll do for another. But don't despise the interruptions in life. Don't despise when God's moving in other people's life. Celebrate. Encourage them. Often your miracle's wrapped up in celebrating theirs. This Jairus is like, we gotta, we got to go. we got to move. My last point this morning is I respectfully decline. I like Nando's. I know you guys don't have a Nando's, which is very sad. I think you've got a Mac as a Subway and a Red Rooster. Lord, touch them. I love Nando's. I have a Nando's tattoo. Yeah. So I got home and I'm like, babe, look at my Nando's tattoo. And she was reading and she literally went, well, that's a life decision. I love you too, girl. If I was at Nando's, when I'm at Nando's, I get... The same thing every time. I get a half chicken on mild with extra sauce. I get the chips. I get some pita bread and some hummus and a vanilla Coke, and I ask for ice cubes in the cup. That's what I get. It's important. Two creamy chip dips. I know. I need to lay off the food, but shut up. <laughs> if the waiter came over to me and said, how are you, bro? Here's your meal. And he put down an avocado salad. And some sparkling water. I hate sparkling water. I'm like, oh, cool, it's water, but more expensive and bubbly. Like, we were just in the kitchen, and we were just discussing what what you should eat, and we felt like an avocado salad was good. But I I paid for, but I paid for that. I paid for a half chicken and chips with two creamy chip dips. 
some hummus and some pita bread and a vanilla Coke with ice cubes. You give me an avocado salad, you're ripping me off. We just thought that would be best. But that wasn't my order, and it wasn't what I paid for. You see, some of us were accepting things that we didn't order and Jesus didn't pay for. You see, your depression, your anxiety, it wasn't on the menu of heaven. You see, the things going on in your life, you can actually respectfully decline. And I say respectfully because we're Christian. Because if that actually happened in real life, I'd be like, hey, bro, God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. Fix my order, my dude. (laughs) Bring me my half chicken. You see, you're actually allowed to do that, friend. You can actually, my, my parents are old school. Can I, can I say that? My mom and dad, they run our church and, and they're old school. Like I would wake up and my mom would be walking around with a tambourine in the lounge room being like, and these are the days of your servant Moses declaring the word of the Lord. Hey, behold, he, you know, it was crazy. And then if I knew something was going on in the family if I woke up and, I, and mom was just walking around. I hated telling mom I was sick for school. Like, mom, I'm not feeling well. She'd be like, lift your hands to heaven. In the name of Jesus. You know, I'm like, I never, I never admitted I was sick ever. I was like, I'll just be sick and go to school, you weirdo. <laughs> but my mom is actually a professional at declining the orders and the servings of the enemy. Actually, as a church, we're allowed to stand on the gap and say, hey, Actually, I didn't order depression. I didn't order social anxiety. I didn't order porn addiction. Actually, my part, my portion is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so I'd respectfully decline that devil. I decline what you served me up. And we see in this story, as we finish, we see, we can stand in the house this morning. We see two examples of this happening. We see an example of a woman who's been ostracized and rejected. I don't know if anyone in this room has felt rejected, but it's a horrible feeling. Feel like people are against you, people don't care about you. And this woman's had 12 years of that 12 years of not having a family, 12 years. You better believe that as she's pushing through that crowd, she has a voice telling her, What are you doing? Jesus is going to turn you away. What are you, why are you even touching these people? You're not clean. You better believe the, the, the waiters of hell are trying to serve her up everything as she's walking towards Jesus. And I feel this woman, and I, I feel a connection with her, man. I feel like she just starts to, this is like obviously extra biblical, and this is just what I think in my head, but she starts to decline the lies of the enemy. And she starts to say, hey, actually, you know what, devil? You know what? I've been left alone for 12 years and I've had this issue for 12 years, but I've heard a story about a man. His name is Jesus and he loves the unclean and he loves people with unclean lips and he loves people that struggle and he loves people that had. And if I could get and touch him, maybe something would change. Maybe something would shift. So actually, social anxiety, I, re- I reject you. I decline you. Actually hurt and pain. I'm going to touch the hem of his garment if it kills me. And she pushes through and then And then check this out. And then we see Jesus do it. The devil's silly. He tries to serve up Jesus, something that wasn't on the menu that Jesus and the Lord and the Holy Spirit created. He tries to sow mocking and doubt. People start mocking. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. People start laughing. Jesus is like, get out. No. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. You see, Jairus wanted a healing, but Jesus wanted to perform a resurrection. But what does a resurrection require? Death. And so Jesus walks into the room and he says, hey, actually, doubt, get out. Unbelief, get out. 
because I'm about to restore this young girl. I'm about to restore her family. And I'm about to make all these haters understand that there is a God and his arm is not too short and he is who he says he is. Thank you for tuning in to Bowen Christian Family Center's podcast channel. For any more information on our church, the preaching, or Jesus and Christianity, feel free to check out our church website, www.withsundayacc.com.au.